to see the young people tonight. Would you say amen? Amen. Young people, if you're glad to see the old people tonight, would you say amen? Amen. Oh, that's a little scary. I cannot tell you how excited I am you are here tonight. And you know, we haven't done this in a long time. And so I didn't know what to expect. But you know what? You showed up tonight. And, and we're honored that you're here. Amen. And I'm just trusting the Lord to do some great things for us the next few days. I'm glad my friend Paul Stepper is here. Amen. And I know God is going to use him. And, um, and we're going to have fun after church both nights. And then Sunday, now the pastors that are here, they're going to think I'm proselyte. I'm not Brother Stephen, I promise. <laughs> Brother Jonathan's too far away to, to proselyte the, 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 the Randolph Friends crowd. But Sunday uh, morning after the service, we're going to have a special dinner just for you. So you and your family's invited to have dinner with us over at the school. And so I hope that it will be a great three days where we not only have the time and fellowship, but where we connect with God and God connects with us. And who knows but what together we'll all make some life-changing decisions in the next three days. Amen? I want, I want us all to sing. And I'm going to... Um, I'm going to do the music a, a, little, a little differently tonight. Um, I want to begin with this course. The course, this is the day that the Lord has made. I will rejoice and be glad. It says we will rejoice and be glad in it. So um, here's what I want to do. I think we'll start with the guys, all the guys, the young guys and the old guys. And the old guys singing the first this is the day. Then ladies, I need you to do the second this is the day. Y'all know the song I'm talking about? Somebody wave at me. I'm getting real nervous real quick. So I'm done this in a long time. So uh, uh, so let's 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 sing it. Let's just echo it that way. So guys, you join me on the first this is the day. Then ladies, you join on the second this is the day. All right, here we go. Here we go. This is the day.
fellow pastor over on Southeastern and a good man that God has used uh, uh, to reach a lot of people. He has an incredible testimony in case you've never heard of it. It's rather extraordinary what the grace of God has done in his life. And uh, I don't know what just happened, but I just disappeared. Maybe I'll come back. There we go. And so I want him to lead us in prayer. But, but as we pray, there are a lot of people who are sick tonight and are unable to be here. And I want us to pray for them. My, our twins, poor Miss Ellie, very, very, very sick. And um, I wish you would pray for her tonight. And I know others, are, there's a bad virus going around. Blake is very, very sick. He has to work tonight, but he's very, very sick. And I know others that are fighting terrible sickness. So let's pray for those who aren't feeling well tonight. Do you have any prayer requests that you want to mention before we pray? Anyone can slip up a hand and, and uh, prayer request anywhere. Anyone? Yeah. A couple of unspoken requests. All right. Anyone else? All right, I'm sure there are several unspoken requests throughout this crowd. Any of you young people have an unsp another unspoken request? God sees every one of those needs. Well, let's lift our voices with Brother Stevens as he, as he leads us in prayer. Brother Stevens. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your magnificent grace, your love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, you died for us. Lord, it is your enjoyment tonight to come into your house and spend time with your people. We, Lord, tonight have come out into your house and we have gathered in your name and we've come out on purpose, Lord. We've come expecting to hear from you. And so, Lord, we're lifting up everyone that's unable to be here tonight. You know, those that are sick, Lord. Many tonight that's not feeling well. And I know you're not confined by time or space, but you're able to go right where they are. And you're able to give them that healing touch and to minister to them. And we think tonight of the Sally, Lord,
that, that, that came from a distance. And as I mentioned, Russ Stevens coming over from Southeastern. And, and Rob Moore's driver uh, is here tonight. Good to see you, Rob. And, and uh, others, I'm just so glad you're here. We have visitors tonight, uh, other visitors that came. And I don't know all your names, but thank you. Thank you for supporting our youth revival. It means a lot to us. And I know it means a lot to these young people that you want to support them tonight uh, by being here. Let me just remind you that um, tomorrow night's service, Union Bible College is going to be here um, with an ensemble group, and they're going to sing, and then they are sponsoring the party that we're going to have after the service. So tonight we have hamburgers and hot dogs and popcorn. Praise God. That's all that matters. You can do without any other food group, but if you do not have popcorn, you will die. But if you have popcorn, you can live. And so, um, Rogers worked really hard to prepare a lot of things for tonight. And then tomorrow night, we're having a pizza party, and uh, Union Bible College will be sponsoring that. And they will also be uh, putting a bunch of games together. So I hope you'll come back tomorrow night. And it will, uh, I think, prove to be a fun time for all of us. And then, of course, Sunday, uh, Paul will be preaching both services on Sunday. And as I mentioned, uh, for all the young people that are here after the service, we want you to be our guests over at the school along with your families. And we will do our best. Roger will do his best to feed you all very well. I'm just going to sit there and eat, and eat the popcorn. So, uh, you know, just we hope that you will plan to join us. So. And thank you, those of you that are giving uh, in support of this, of this uh, youth revival. Thank you. Thank you for your financial support. It does take money to, to operate. And, uh, and you've been very thankful. So our ushers are coming at this time to receive our evening offering. And uh, feel free to worship the Lord and, and give it. If you made a pledge and you want to put it in, tonight would be a good time to do that. But you've been so faithful. And, and thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for how you've been supporting the work of the Lord. John Powell, would you pray for me? <laughs>
Well, thank you for that offering, and thank you for that beautiful offertory. The Lord has blessed Independent Nazarene with a wonderful couple, and Lee and Jill Murray. And uh, and all we have to give them is Mountain Dew and coffee. It really works out very, very well. Um, we thought that that Paul's uh, uh, sister and brother-in-law were going to be here tonight, and they weren't able to make it. So is it okay if... If a few old people sing to you, is that all right? Okay, thank you. At least somebody nodded their head. So. <laughs> now, this is a song that, um, that we sang about a month ago. But um, I have learned in my lifetime that sometimes Jesus is really all I feel like I have. Never feel alone. But what I've learned in those times is that Jesus is really all I ever need. So I hope that this song will speak to you. You listen. Scattered on the ground 
When my joy turns to sorrow and there's no hope for tomorrow, that's when Jesus is all that I need. Jesus is all I need. Jesus is all I need. I need no other friend. I need no other one. Jesus is all that I need. He's all I need. He's all I need. Jesus is all I need. He's all I need. He's all I need. Jesus is all I need. Jesus is all I
then the songwriter goes on to say, the finest words I know could not begin to tell what Jesus really means to me. He's more wonderful than my mind can conceive. He's more wonderful than my heart can believe. He goes beyond my highest thoughts and fondest dreams. He's everything that my soul ever longed for. Everything and so much more. Hallelujah. He's more than wonderful. Yes, even when life's falling apart, he's still more than wonderful. And I just thank him for his presence. Thank him for his presence that I felt in such a real way this evening. Amen? Have you felt him here tonight? I certainly have. And there's nowhere I'd rather be than in the presence of God. Amen? Amen. Well, I know that we've already prayed, but can I pray one more time before we launch in? I'm going to take a drink of water first. <laughs> Lord Jesus, there are human beings out here in this congregation tonight. Human beings that you created lovingly and purposefully. Lord, you know the number of hairs on every head this evening. You know the innermost thoughts of each heart. You know exactly where everyone stands. You know how much time every one of us has. And Lord, you see this revival. You saw it long before we got here. And Lord, you have a plan for this revival. You have a purpose for it. And I pray that you would fulfill your plan for every human being that is within the sound of my voice this evening. Lord, I pray that not that they would hear my words, but that they would hear your word. Lord, I pray not that anything that I would say would wow them or impact them, but Lord, what your Holy Spirit would minister to their hearts and minds, that that would be what sticks with them and touches them and transforms them. Lord, may every person walk out of the doors of this sanctuary tonight closer to God than when we came. And for all that you do, we'll praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. I have a question for you. Do you have a happy place? Some of you, it might be a tree stand out in the woods during deer season. Anybody like that? <laughs> for Brother Vore, whose house I visited today, it might be behind the wheel of that Corvette that's sitting in his garage. <laughs> For some of you, it might be at the stern of a bass boat out on the lake. Anybody like that? <laughs> For some of you, it might be to drive down to Edinburgh and go to the uh, outlet malls down there. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe I haven't named your happy place. If I could be said to have a physical happy place, it would probably be out on my back porch. I love my back porch. My house sits up on a little hill. Now, you didn't think there were any hills in Florida, did you? <laughs> but I live in a place called Hove Heights. Isn't that interesting? Did you know that there were heights in Hope Sound? I live in Hope's, Hove Heights. One of the highest places in Hope Sound, and no, I don't live at the landfill. That is the highest place. That is the highest spot in Martin County, the landfill, actually is. And I don't live there. 
but there are some rolling sand dunes, so to speak, and I live on top of one of those, and in fact, I live on the corner of the street, so I don't have any neighbors on this side, and there are a whole lot of trees and a privacy fence on this side, and behind my house, the neighbor that's behind me, his yard plunges about six feet below my yard. And there's actually a retention wall, and then there's a privacy fence that comes up above that. So when I sit on that back porch, and I look out over top of the privacy fence, I don't see neighbors, I don't see houses, I see sky. And I love that. We have some absolutely gorgeous sunrises in Florida. We're pretty close to the ocean. And so those cloud formations form over the water and then they roll in. And as the sun rises in the morning, there are just some absolutely beautiful skyscapes in those mornings. And I love to sit out there with my coffee. How many of you drink coffee? <laughs> well, most of you. I'm among friends tonight. <laughs> I love to sit out on that back porch and drink my coffee and watch the sun rise. There's a little retention pond across the street, catty corner for me. It's a little wetlands area. And there are some little ducks that live back in there. And every morning, they fly up and they circle around and they don't quack like regular mallards up here, the ones that we Midwesterners are used to. They have kind of this little chirp. And as they fly in a circle around our area, they chirp. And then we also have lots of mockingbirds down there. And there's a wire that goes right across the back of my house. And my buddy, the Mockingbird, will come and sit on that wire, and he will sing his heart out. He's got about ten different songs that he sings, and I like every, almost every one of them. Not real fond of the Blue Jay song that he sings, but most of the rest of them I really enjoy. So I just love to sit out there. I've got some wicker furniture that's kind of overstuffed, and I love to sit out there and drink my coffee and watch the sunrise and listen to Mr. Mockingbird. I don't get to be home as much as I would like. Now, I'm really happy to be here this weekend. Truly, I am. This is one of my favorite places. I love this church. I love you all. It's good to be with family. I've got my in-laws here, and it's always good to see them. We talk just about every day. And I've got my cousin, Michelle, here, and it's good to see her. And, and of course, it's good to be with my friend, uh, your pastor, Donnie Bates. And good to see all of you. And uh, good to be here, but I have to confess as much as I feel at home here, there's no place like home, right? And I love to go home after a long trip and crawl out of bed in the morning and walk out and sit down with my coffee on my back porch. And when I'm sitting out there, I'm in my happy place. I really, really enjoy that. Well, you know, there are a lot of people in life that have never been able to find their happy place. Now, when I'm speaking in, in, in this sentence, I'm really not talking about a physical location. I'm talking about a place in life, they, a position in life. They've never been able to find their groove, so to speak. They've never been able to find a place of contentment and peace and happiness. And they're seeking it. They're looking for it. They're pursuing it but they've never been able to find it. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've never really found your happy place in life. I want to read to you a passage of scripture, and I want to, to see, I want you to listen and see if the person writing this scripture 
has found his happy place. I'm not going to tell you where it is because I just want you to listen. Okay? just want you to listen. See if this guy has found his happy place. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. He's a king. That means he's rich. That means he's powerful. He ought to be happy, shouldn't he? Well, let's see if he is. Vanity of vanities, saith the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What profit hath a man of all his labor, which he taketh under the sun? One generation passeth away, and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. The sun also ariseth, and the sun goeth down, and hasteth to his place where he arose. The wind goeth toward the south, and turneth about unto the north. It whirleth about continually, and the wind returneth again according to his circuits. All the rivers run into the sea, and yet the sea is not full. Unto the place from whence the rivers come, thither they return. All things are full of labor. Man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. The things that have been, it is that which shall be. And that which is done is that which shall be done. And there is no new thing under the sun. Is there anything whereof it might be said, See, this is new. It hath been already of old time which was before us. There's no remembrance of former things. Neither shall there be any remembrance of things that are come to come with those that shall come after. Are you encouraged yet? Did you pull this out on your on the card from your promise box this morning? I haven't heard any promise box material so far. Have you? <laughs> I, the preacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I gave my heart to seek and search out by wisdom concerning all things that are done under heaven. This sore travail hath God given to the sons of man to be exercised therewith. Wow, are we having fun yet? <laughs> I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. That which is crooked cannot be made straight, and that which is wanting cannot be numbered. I communed with mine own heart. Now he's self-examining, saying, Lo, I am come to great estate and have gotten more wisdom than all they that have been before me in Jerusalem. Yea, my heart had great experience of wisdom and knowledge, and I gave my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is vexation of spirit, for in much wisdom is much grief. And he that increaseth knowledge increaseth sorrow. I could go on. <laughs> Do you want me to? <laughs> well, it's worthwhile reading, but not because it's particularly enjoyable or inspiring, right? No, this guy seems to be pretty depressed. I think these days we would give him some Xanax. Don't you think? <laughs> he is not a happy camper. Isn't it interesting that he has achieved the heights? He was born with a silver spoon in his mouth. He said, I was king over Israel and Jerusalem. Now that gives you a clue who this is, right? He was the son of David. And he was king over Israel in Jerusalem. Now, there's only one person that fits that criteria. 
because after Solomon, the kingdom was divided and the king of Israel no longer sat in Jerusalem. And so this has to be King Solomon. What do we know about King Solomon? Well, first of all, we know that he was the wisest man, according to the Bible, of his generation, of his era. Why was he the wisest man? Well, the scripture tells us that God appeared to Solomon shortly after he became king. And God said, what will you ask of me? And Solomon asked for wisdom. Now, God was pleased with this request. And God said, because you have asked for wisdom instead of riches, he said, I'm actually going to give you both. And so Solomon became not only the wisest man in the world, but he also became one of the richest men in the world. Now, isn't that remarkable? Can you imagine being both brilliant and wealthy? Wouldn't that be great? Maybe some of you are. I don't know. <laughs> but he certainly was. In fact, his reputation became so glorious that people all across the world of that time heard about his riches and his brilliance. You remember the story of the Queen of Sheba from a faraway land? She had heard about this incredible king that sat in Jerusalem. He had expanded his kingdom far beyond its original borders. He had established peace and prosperity. He had accumulated vast wealth. He had treasuries and he had trade routes that went all over the world. He had built this incredible temple that was one of the architectural wonders of its day. He had palaces. He had slaves abounding. <laughs> she said, I want to see this for myself. And so she and her vast entourage made the long journey and arrived in Jerusalem. There have been stories and poems and even entire oratorios written. George Frederick Handel wrote an oratorio about the visit of the Queen of Sheba to Solomon's court. And do you know what she concluded? She concluded that the rumors were actually true. That Solomon actually lived up to his legend. He was a great man. Not only had he achieved tremendous wisdom, which God himself had given to him, but he had also achieved vast wealth. He had also achieved career satisfaction. He doesn't make any bones about it. He says, I was one of the most successful kings ever. Maybe his name was Trump. I don't know. <laughs> I'm going to be king and it's going to be huge. <laughs> and it was. <laughs> Oh my, career satisfaction. He said, I worked and I sweat and I achieved and I enjoyed the fruits of my labors. He went on to enjoy the pleasures, the fleshly pleasures that he had at his disposal. You know how many wives he had? <laughs> he had 700 wives. He had many concubines besides. He imported princesses from neighboring kingdoms as a part of his political detente with his neighbors. 
But he also accumulated a harem of no doubt the most beautiful women of the kingdom. And he indulged in fleshly pleasures. He says, I had the finest music. I had the most wine. I had the biggest banquets. I enjoyed myself. And yet, at the end of the day, he found it all to be vanity. Isn't that interesting? He had everything that this world tells you you need to be successful and happy. But his conclusion at the end of it all was it's vanity. I think that the book of Ecclesiastes was written for the verse that I'm about to quote to you to be shared with us. I think this strikes at the heart of why it's included in the sacred scripture. Solomon is an old man. He's reflecting back on his life and he gives us an important bit of advice. He says, remember, remember now your creator in the days of your youth. Remember now your creator in the days of your youth. What happened to Solomon? Solomon started off well. Solomon was the king of God's people. Solomon was born of a godly father. David was a man after God's own heart. Solomon had every advantage. He had been taught the law and the prophets. He worshiped in the temple on a regular basis. Where did Solomon go wrong? You know, the scripture tells us that those imported wives that he brought from heathen kingdoms, they brought with them their idols. And in order to keep them happy, he began to set up their idols. Oh, he didn't stop worshiping at his beautiful temple that he had created. Oh, he didn't stop attending to the rituals of the worship of the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and his own father, David. But he began blending his worship with these other gods. And somewhere along the line, I think Solomon is telling us in a sort of unspoken statement here, I forgot my creator. That's the unspoken message that Solomon is sending us here. I forgot my creator. God was his creator, of course, in the sense that he formed him in the womb, just like he did you and just like he did me. Just like he formed Adam and then he took a rib from Adam and formed Eve, God formed every one of us. And in the same sense, God created Solomon. But there's a more symbolic sense in which it could be said that God created Solomon. God made Solomon who he was. It was God that ordained that Solomon was to be king. David had other sons, other sons who claimed the throne, other sons who fought for and contended for the throne of their father, David. But God saw to it that Solomon became king. It was God that appeared to him and said, what will you ask of me when he asked for wisdom? It was God who said, I'll give you that wisdom. And because you asked for that, I'll also give you riches. Yes, God made Solomon. 
God created the legend that was Solomon. The scripture tells us that he raises up kings according to his own pleasure. And certainly he raised up King Solomon. Solomon's mere use of the term creator indicates that he realizes in his old age that it was God who had made him who he was. And now Solomon, looking back over a life filled with regret, now Solomon, writing his own epitaph, vanity of vanities, all is vanity, he looks back and then he looks ahead to you and me. He looks ahead particularly to you young people. He specifies that. And he says, oh, don't do what I did. Remember, remember your creator, especially while you're young. Don't forget the God that formed you in the womb. Don't forget the God that knew you before you even existed. Don't forget the God that shaped the context into which you were born, the God that gave you the parents that you have, the God that gave you the education that you're receiving, the God that gave you the talents and the abilities that you have, the God that has surrounded you with so many blessings. Oh, some of you may be sitting here tonight and you may be thinking, well, I have a broken home. Well, I have a physical ailment. Well, I have a learning disability. Well, I've been abused. How could I be said to be blessed? Well, let me tell you, young people, if any of you fit into any of those categories, my heart goes out to you, and I wouldn't minimize those things for a second. And I'm sure that in a crowd this size, there are people who do fit into those categories. There are people who have been abused. There are people who have been abandoned by your parents. Some of you have had big disadvantages in life. But let me, let me remind you of something, young people. You're here. And you're hearing the gospel. And you've been in God's presence tonight. And somebody cared enough to invite you. You, my friend, are blessed. You have an opportunity sitting before you tonight to hear and receive and embrace the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you can become a child of God. You can have his holy presence living inside you. You can know, you can have assurance that it is well with your soul. You, my friends, are blessed. Amen. And it's God who has blessed you. Amen. It's God who's made all of this possible. I would urge you tonight, young people, don't listen to the siren song of this world that tells you to chase after education. Chase after money. Chase after name brand clothes. Chase after fa fancy cars. Chase after the big house. Chase after living the good life. Having a high social standing in society. Creating your own comfort zone. Being your own boss. Doing your own thing. Guess what, friends? Solomon did it all. And he concluded that it was vanity. Oh, I beg of you tonight, don't pursue those things. They will come up hollow in the end. Vanity of vanities. All is vanity. Well, you know what? Let's not get hung up on Solomon. <laughs> let's learn what we need to learn from him and then let's move on. Let's, 
Let's hear the writing of someone else, another person, another writer. And why don't you, why don't you see if maybe this guy has found his happy place? He says, preserve me, O God, for in thee do I put my trust. O my soul, thou hast said unto the Lord, thou art my Lord, my goodness extendeth not to thee. But to the saints that are in the earth and to the excellent in whom is all my delight. Their sorrows shall be multiplied that hasten after another God. Their drink offerings of blood will I not offer nor take up their names into my lips. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Thou maintainest my lot. The lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. I will bless the Lord who has given me counsel. My reins also instruct me in the night seasons. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoiceth. My flesh also shall rest in hope. For thou wilt not leave my soul in hell, neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. And this is my favorite verse in all of the Bible. Thou wilt show me the path of life. In thy presence is fullness of joy. At thy right hand there are pleasures forevermore. How about it? Do you think this guy has found his happy place? <laughs> Do you know who that was that wrote that? That was none other than Solomon's dad, King David. Now, when you stop and think about it, King David had kind of a rough life. You ever stop to think about that? First of all, he was the runt of his family. Are any of you the runt of your family? <laughs> yep, some of you are. <laughs> well, I wasn't the tallest one, but I never got called the runt. <laughs> but some of you know what it's like to be the runt. He was the youngest. He was the off-scouring. You know, the youngest one always seems to get the dirtiest jobs, right? <laughs> they just sort of get passed down to the bottom of the line. And David was the bottom of the line. He was the shepherd boy. And you remember that incredible story when God spoke to the prophet Samuel and he said, it's time for you to go anoint a new king for Israel. And I want you to go to the house of Jesse in Bethlehem. And so off he goes and he goes to the house and he knocks on the door and they answer the door. And here stands the prophet, the great prophet Samuel. He's sort of the father of the nation, so to speak. There's really no comparison today, but it'd be sort of like Billy Graham showing up on your doorstep and knocking at your door and saying, I'm going to anoint one of your children to be the next president of the United States. That would be kind of interesting, wouldn't it? <laughs> Can you imagine Jesse flying into a flurry and trying to fix up the house and trying to gather all of his kids around him and, and he starts passing them before the prophet. And one by one, Samuel evaluates these young men and he sees the oldest one. He's a muscular young man, good looking, 
looks well qualified. Surely, Lord, this must be the one, the eldest. And the Lord says, no. And Samuel shakes his head, no. And one by one, he goes down the line, and God says, no, no. Jesse says, well, um, let's see here. And Samuel says, don't you have any more children? And Jesse says, oh, yes, well, <laughs> well, yeah, there's, there's, there's David. He's out in the pasture. <laughs> He's out on the back 40 watching the sheep. And Samuel says, go get him. How would you like it if Billy Graham came to your house to anoint one of the kids in your family to be the next president of the United States and your dad forgot about you? <laughs> That's kind of insulting, isn't it? <laughs> Not the most pleasant experience in the world. And so here comes little David. And God says to Samuel, that's the one. And Samuel takes out his flask of oil. And to the amazement and awe of everyone around him, he pours out the oil and begins to speak the blessings of God as he declares that David will be the next king. Wow, big stuff. Now what? He puts his flask away and he leaves. And I can imagine they just sort of stand around looking at each other and maybe David had the audacity to say, okay, bow the knee, knaves. <laughs> but nobody did. He's not king yet. So what do you do? Well, he goes back out to pasture and he starts watching the sheep all over again. We don't hear from David again until we see a scenario where Israel is under siege from the Philistines. David's older brothers are out. They're soldiers. They're in the battle with King Saul. And David's father says, I want you to take some bread and cheese out to the front lines. Well, the future king of Israel gets to be the Aaron boy. Isn't that great? <laughs> take some bread and cheese out to your brothers who are fighting out on the front lines. Isn't this exciting? And so he goes out to the battlefront. What does he find? He finds all of the Israelite soldiers cowering in their tents, terrified of this giant that's standing out there with his booming voice, mocking and jeering the king and the God of Israel. And David pokes out his little chest and he says, is there nobody that's going to take on this giant? And his brothers say, oh, be quiet. Started to say, shut up. We have little kids here. So. <laughs> and I'll have parents that are going to have to do the preacher said, shut up. I'm not going to say that. Don't you eat. <laughs> but I can imagine his big brothers. In fact, we don't have to imagine. The Bible says, be quiet, David. You just come here to see what's going on and you're just showing off. Shut your mouth and go back to your sheep. Boy, David didn't get any respect, did he? <laughs> You remember how the story progressed? Somebody goes to Saul's tent and said, hey, there's a, there's a guy out here that wants to take on the giant. And Saul says, well, bring him in. And here comes little David. And Saul must have been kind of forlorn. And he, he looks over at his squire and he says, hey, bring me my armor. We're at least going to have to put some protection on this kid. And so he tries to put the armor on him and David completely disappears. I can hear him saying, I can't wear this. <laughs> and so they put away the armor 
and he says, I'm going out there with my slingshot. God help me to kill a lion and a bear with this. I'm going to kill that giant. Is there not a cause, he said. I love that verse. He goes out. Goliath is angry. He says, am I a dog that you send children after me? And the next thing you know, one little stone went into the air and the giant came tumbling down. Next thing you know, David's in a parade with the king and they're going through the streets of Jerusalem and the people, when they see the king, they say, Saul has slain his thousands and great big Saul, who was head and shoulders above all the other men in the country, is beating his chest. Oh yes, oh yes. But David his ten thousands. Huh? Hang on a second. They've never said that before. And a bit of madness begins to turn over in Saul's mind. Yes, he's become fascinated with this David kid. And he finds out that he can play the harp beautifully and he has written songs. And so he becomes the court musician. And as Saul's mind begins to descend into deeper and deeper madness, he relies upon the music of David to calm his nerves. But he also looks at David and I don't know, maybe he had some sort of an inkling that this guy was going to take his place. Maybe those cries of David has slain his ten thousands were echoing in his ears and his rage began to rise. And the next thing you know, he reaches out, picks up a javelin and heaves it at David across the room. David has to dive out of the way. And literally, David begins running for his life. David just can't catch a break, can he? He's running for his life. He becomes an exile. Do you know that David ended up moving to the land of the Philistines to get away from Mad King Saul? He ended up living in Philistia. Now, this is an interesting little twist that we're told in the scripture. David and his friends, his fellow soldiers, pretended to be insane. Now, if you study up on that, there was a superstition in those days that if you harmed a person who was struggling with insanity, that you would be cursed. And so the people in that culture would not harm an insane person. That's why David and his soldiers in this foreign land as exiles are drooling and raving and who knows what to save their own lives. Well, this is a fine kettle of fish. The lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. Are you kidding? <laughs> you know the rest of the story. Eventually, Saul is killed in battle. David is brought back. David is crowned king. Finally. Finally, David's going to come into his own, right? But do you realize that David had to fight just to maintain his throne? Time after time after time, he was surrounded by enemies. David wanted to build the temple of God, and God said, no, you can't do that because you're a man of blood. He had to fight just for his own existence, just for his own position as king in Jerusalem. And as he gets older, of course, you know he makes a terrible error. He commits a terrible sin. But God forgives him and he's restored and you think, well, maybe in his old age, maybe after his restoration, maybe he'll find some peace and prosperity. But it's at that point that his son Absalom 
starts trying to steal away the hearts of the people. And Absalom is going around behind his back and undermining him and elevating himself, trying to steal his throne. And David, to add insult to injury, in his old age, finds himself running for his life yet again. He finds himself exiled from Jerusalem yet again. But this time, it's not Mad King Saul. This time, it's not the awful Philistines that he's battled over the course of his reign. This time, it's his own flesh and blood. It's his own son. David has had a tough life. It seemed like everything has worked against him, right? He had troubles in his family. He had troubles with his wives. Troubles in his position as king. How could David be happy? And yet, what did David say? He said, you're my portion, O Lord. You maintain my law. He said, the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. How can this be? He says, I will bless the Lord who gives me counsel. My heart instructs me in the night seasons. That's interesting because that's a parallel to what Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, right? Solomon talks about musing in his own heart. But what's David's conclusion? David's conclusion is, the lines have fallen to me in pleasant places. What is David's secret? How is it that Solomon had everything going for him? How is it that Solomon had all the wisdom and all the money and all the wine, women, and song and all of the power and all of the reputational success, everything he could have asked for, and yet he says it's vanity? What was David's secret? I'll tell you. He tells us in this song. He says, I have set the Lord always before me. I have set the Lord always before me. Isn't that interesting? Contrast that with what Solomon says. He says, oh, don't do like I did. Don't forget your creator while you're young. David says, I've set the Lord always before me. And because he's at my right hand, I shall not be moved. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Even if I'm running for my life, even when I'm hiding in a cave from Mad King Saul, who's actually sleeping in the front of the cave, I'm cornered, I'm trapped, but I'm writing psalms of joy and praise to God. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> I love that. I've set the Lord always before me. Because he's at my right hand, I will not be moved. And he says, therefore, my heart is glad and my glory rejoices and my flesh will rest in hope. Amen. Hallelujah. <laughs> Isn't that wonderful? David has found his happy place. And guess what? It wasn't on the roof of his palace. You know he got in trouble up there. <laughs> no, it wasn't even out on the battlefield as the conquering hero. Where was David's happy place? He tells us. He says, you will show me the path of life in your presence. Amen. 
is fullness of joy. <laughs> and at your right hand are pleasures evermore. Hallelujah. <laughs> What's the secret? What's the happy place? Our happy place, my friends, is none other than in His presence. In His presence. That's where fullness of joy resides. Not in a palace of riches. Not in a palace of pleasure. Not in a palace of power. No, it resides in the presence of God. He remembered his creator. God showed him the path of life. Oh, young people. <laughs> if I have one hope and aspiration, deep, deep desire for you, it's that God will show you the path of life. You know, there's a lot of heartache out there. There's a lot of sorrow out there. If we could fast forward a decade from now and peek in on your life, on the footage of your life 10 years from now, what would we see? Would we see a broken marriage? Would we see some form of addiction, whether it be substance or pornography? Would we see imprisonment? Would we see children out of wedlock? Would we see bad financial decisions? What would we see? It's the choices that you're making right now that will determine what we would see if we could fast forward 10 years from now. Oh, young people, I want to be able to fast forward 10 years from now and look in on the footage of your life and see joy, see contentment, see a smile on your face. Oh, I don't know if you'll be married or single. I don't know if you'll have children or not. I don't know if you'll be rich or poor. I don't know if you'll be fat or skinny. I don't know what the circumstances of your, of your life will be. But what I want to see is the glow of God's presence on your face. Because God has shown you the path of life. And he's given you the gift of his presence. Hallelujah. <laughs> we had an old fellow in my home church back in Ohio. His name was Jack. Jack had been a Pilgrim Holiness Song Evangelist. And he and his wife Ruby used to be able to sing the glory down from what, I, from what I'm told. I never heard he and her sing together. They sang back in the... 40s and 50s. Jack was an old World War II vet, and even up into his 70s, he could still do one-arm push-ups. <laughs> I couldn't do one-arm push-ups when I was 17, well, <laughs> in my 70s. But anyhow, Jack was our song leader, and Jack was jovial. Jack was kind. Jack had a joke for everybody. Jack could lead us into the presence of God when he led our singing. I loved Jack McMahon. He was a saint. But do you know the older I got, the more I realized that Jack had every reason in the world to be miserable? Jack's wife, Ruby, with whom he had sung in song evangelism all across the country, somehow began to listen to the devil. She got discouraged. She backslid. She ran off with another man. There was a man in our area who was a fencer, they called it. And uh, that is, he, 
he, he worked in the gambling den, so to speak. And he was making a lot of money. It was not legitimately made, but he was rolling in the dough, so to speak. And Jack was able to give Ruby the things that she couldn't get in song evangelism. <laughs> he gave her diamonds and furs and sports cars. And she was yucking it up, living the high life. And she told their six children, hey, you can come to our house and you can do whatever you want at, our, at my place. Don't let your dad get you all tied up in knots with that religious stuff. You know, Jack could have become very bitter because every one of his children turned against him. Every one of his children just committed about every sin in the book that you can imagine. It just broke his heart. But instead of becoming bitter, Jack got close to Jesus. <laughs> My dad talked about having a garden out at Jack's place, and he said he was a young preacher. And he went out there to do some work in his garden patch, and, and he said he walked around the house, and Jack's bedroom window was open, and he said he heard a murmur. And from Jack's bedroom, he could hear the sounds of Jack bombarding heaven. And guess who he, who he was praying for? That young preacher. Oh, Lord, help Brother Danny. <laughs> you never heard him call that before, have you? <laughs> I remember Jack McMahon going on hunting trips. And if you followed him, sometimes he would start to weave a little bit. You might be a little bit afraid that Jack was falling asleep and was liable to, to wreck. <laughs> but oh, no. Jack was praying. And after a while... You'd see him take his hanky and start waving it out the window. <laughs> I was told about one instance when Jack was deer hunting. He was hunting with my dad. And dad was in his deer stand and Jack was in the other deer stand a little ways away in the woods. And they were waiting for the first light, trying to be real quiet so as not to scare away any of the deer. And dad said, all at once he began to hear this murmur. And he thought, what's that noise? And he quietly climbed down his tree stand and he began to follow that noise and pretty soon he recognized, sure enough, that was Jack. <laughs> and he got over by that tree and he said Jack was down out of his tree stand and he was marching around that tree and he was waving his hanky, <laughs> singing in that big booming George Beverly Shea type voice that he still had and still used very effectively. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. All the deer were in the next county. <laughs> but guess what? Jack was having an audience with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. <laughs> that woods had become a cathedral. <laughs> and God had settled down. And they were communing. Oh yes, Jack had found the secret. Jack had found his happy place. You know one of the songs that he used to love to lead? We hardly ever hear it anymore. Probably a lot of you don't even know it. But Jack often led this song, and I never realized it at the time, but looking back, now I, I get it. <laughs> One of his favorite choruses that he would go off into was, Oh, hallelujah, yes, tis heaven. Tis heaven to know my sins forgiven. On land or sea, what matters where? Where Jesus is. Tis heaven there. <laughs> oh, yes, Jack had an awful life. Jack had every right to be miserable, but instead, he had found his happy place. He had set the Lord always before him. And because God was at his right hand, even though his wife abandoned him, even though his kids broke his heart, even though everything seemed to have gone against him, they took advantage of him and they took his money and 
all sorts of things. In spite of all of that, he was not moved because God was at his right hand. Hallelujah. In his presence is fullness of joy. Oh, young people, I challenge you. This may sound lofty. This may sound like something for the old people. But if I could just get it across to you, you can be in his presence too. You can talk to Jesus. You don't have to use these and thou's. Almighty God upon whom all... No, you don't have to say all of that stuff. You can just talk to him like you talk to your best friend. You can just talk to him like you talk to your mom or your dad. He wants to. He wants to hear your voice. He wants to talk to you. He wants to have a conversation with you. He wants to be a part of your life. He wants to be your friend. More importantly, he wants to lead you and to direct you and to guide your life. He wants to show you the path of life so that the lines can fall to you in pleasant places. Guys and girls, your life doesn't have to go off the rails. Your life doesn't have to be miserable. Your life doesn't have to be a failure. You can be rich, you can be successful and still be miserable just like Solomon. But you don't have to be. You can have the joy of the Lord. You can have true peace. You can have true contentment. You can have true fulfillment in the presence of God. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. I want to tell you something. 13 weeks ago today, I found myself standing on the side of Interstate 95. Brother Don, you talk about hopes and dreams being scattered all around like that verse you sang a moment ago. That's where I was. Every hope, every dream, every plan, every aspiration, every joy that I had in my life was wrapped up in us, in the two of us. We met and had our first serious conversation right here in this sanctuary, December of 2017. It's the most beautiful time of my life. Wouldn't trade it for the world. It means everything to me that I found myself standing on the side of 95, utterly broken, utterly broken. All of my hopes and dreams absolutely smashed. As I looked ahead, all I saw was just a blank white sheet. And you know what my prayer was at the beginning? Lord, why didn't you take me to? Why am I still here? Why didn't you just take me to? I had no reason to live. But you know what? Do you know why I'm standing before you tonight and able to function? Because God came and met with me. God came and spoke to me. God came and picked me up. <laughs> God came and he said, I'm here and you can trust me. God came and he began to lead me ever so lovingly, ever so kindly, ever so patiently through a path of restoration. Yes. He began to answer some of my questions. And guess what? God doesn't owe me those answers. I never dreamed that he would answer my questions. But one by one, and I'll share more about that with you in a, in a later service. But one by one, God just started answering some of my deepest questions. But most important of all. God gave me his presence. Amen. I can't describe to you 
Those times in the night where I was scared to death to go to sleep because I was scared that I, I'll just, I'm a man, I'm almost 40 years old, but I'll, I'll be humble enough to tell you that I was scared. I was like a little child. I was scared to go to sleep because I was scared of what I was going to dream about. But it was in those times that God crawled in the bed beside me and he wrapped his arms around me and he said, son, I'm right here. I'm going to take care of you. And I'm going to give you a tomorrow. And I'm going to give you hope. I'm going to give you a reason to live. I'm going to heal your heart. I'm going to heal your heart that's been shattered into a million pieces. I'm going to heal your mind that's been torn with anxiety and depression and grief. I'm going to put you back together. And I'm going to wrap my arms around you and I'm going to show you a new path. A path that you didn't see coming. A path that you didn't ask for. A path that you didn't want. But a path that I've been planning before the foundation of the world. And a path that's going to take you all the way home to be with me someday. And I'm going to walk with you every step of the way. And I'll never leave you and I'll never forsake you. I'm the friend that sticks closer than a brother. And I'm going to walk right beside you. Hallelujah. <laughs> oh, praise the Lord. He's real. He's near. He's love. He's faithful. He's good. I promise you, I can tell you. I can tell you from experience. And guys and girls, I don't know what you're facing. But I know this. The same Jesus that stood by me is going to stand by you. The same Jesus that's walking with me tonight is going to walk with you. The same Jesus that's giving me a new tomorrow and a new hope and a new aspiration is going to give you hopes and dreams and goals and aspirations. And not just ones of getting rich, not just ones of being famous, not ones of being wealthy, but hopes and dreams that He will give you that are going to last beyond this material world. Hopes and dreams that are someday going to land you in the presence of God as you stand before Him and hear those wonderful words, well done, good and faithful servant. Hopes and dreams that will someday see you become the recipient of rewards as God honors and rewards those who have been faithful to serve Him throughout their lives. Oh, my aspiration, my hope, my deep passion for you, guys and girls, young people, is that you would remember your Creator in the days of your youth. That you would set Him always before you. That you would let Him show you the path of life. Because in His presence is fullness of joy. Let's stand together.